Hello and welcome to Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks about African myths, legends, and folklore straight into your ear canal. Today I have a very special guest joining me on the show, Lane Marie, the author of the beautifully written and illustrated children's book, Giraffe's Eggs, and the incredible host of the podcast, Giraffe's Eggs and Other African Stories. Lane Marie, welcome to Legendary Africa and thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So I wanted to start the interview with just uh, talking a little bit about when your love for writing began and it just sort of walked me through that. I started writing in secondary school. Uh, I started with writing rap lyrics, <laughs> funny <laughs> enough. Um, and then we did uh, English literature, especially war poetry. And that affected me so much because of my background. Um, I left uh, Ivory Coast when I was 13 and that's because there was a coup there so there was a beginning of a war and everything so war poetry really affected me so I started writing poetry as a result I wrote poetry for years and um, yeah I've only recently started writing children's stories that's amazing wow so that's that's quite a you lived when you were 13 so I mean you, you must have so many memories from the ivory person did yeah. that specifically sort of influence your the writing of this children's book or oh 100 percent. so the full story is that I was born in France and lived there till I was 10 and then I went to Ivory Coast when I was uh yeah when I was 10 my whole family and it was so different to be in a place where I wasn't othered you know I everybody looked like me there was nothing special about me I blended it easily um it was great for me it really helped with my sense of identity and everything and one thing I'm trying to bring out in my stories now is that sense of, you know, uh, identity and, and background, because that really had an impact on me. Just hearing stories, you know, fairy tales where the main character looked like me or, you know, had a name similar to me or similar to my friends and things like that. So definitely Ivory Coast had a huge impact on my writing today. That's brilliant. You know, it's, it's so um, important to have stories that can you know, relate to everybody but I think especially now um, there's more and more books and shows coming out re representing minorities which I think is really important so you said you were uh, interested in fairy tales and stuff like that did your maybe did, did your family read them to you or did, how did you how did you get interested in fables well, I've always loved uh, reading. So writing, I only started in secondary school, but I've always been an avid reader. And what my mom did, because she wasn't a reader, uh, she would just buy all sorts of books, <laughs> all types, all manners of books. Um, but the books I liked the most were indeed, you know, legends, especially um, Greek legend, Greek myths. Um, so yeah, that's I read a lot of that. Uh, I did read some comic books as well. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've always had the love for this. And uh, in Ivory Coast, there are books with, with those stories, of course, but a lot of the time they're, they're, they're spoken, they're performed. And that's something I really enjoyed when I was younger and I was there. So yeah, I've, I've been into fairy tales for a long time. Even as an adult, my favorite movie uh, genres are fantasy and adventure, and it links back to legends, myths, and fairy tales. Mm, it's it's so interesting how the love for fairy tales and for folklore can start when you're a child, and then suddenly you're an adult and you realize you're doing something related <laughs> to that. I saw on your website when you're talking about the book, it says that the book teaches children to love themselves as they are. So was this the main reason behind writing Giraffe's Eggs? And what else were you hoping children would take away from the book? Well, what I really wanted was, and I still want to do that, is write fairy tales um, 
that have a, a moral to the story, a general moral. I found that a lot of the books that are written by uh, Black authors uh, really focus on, you know, you need to love yourself, love your skin, love your hair and things. And, and that's lovely and that's great. I wanted to go in a slightly different route of um, the, the general virtues that are out there that make a good citizen. And that's main, one of the main things I wanted out of Giraffe's Eggs. I wanted children to read it and realize that you might not have everything that you want, but that's okay. You should still be okay. You should still be happy for what others are, as opposed to um, love yourself and love you. And that's a great message, but I wanted the reverse. You might not have what you want. You might not have all the things that you you desire, but still be grateful for others who get that you know there's nothing wrong with that that's such a good message and such actually and such a brilliant um idea that you have there so i know that you are a school teacher and i'm assuming that some experiences with teaching children uh influence certain aspects of of this novel oh 100 my my book is actually dedicated to a, a form class that i had so in the uk we have a main class a principal class and we see them every morning for 20 minutes from the time they start school to the time they leave you know and go off to um either col- college or you know, well some of them go through other things so i started with them in year seven and uh we were sharing once all our dreams and our passions and I said to them, I would love to write a book and get it published. You know, that, and we all had goals and dreams and stuff. And when they, three years into our journey, uh, one of them asked me, a young girl called Jada, she said, Miss, when are you ever going to publish this book that you've told us about? <laughs> and I thought, oh gosh, I, I really need to get on that. And I thought, right yeah great okay so and I started planning from then and I I, my goal was to make sure that it was published before they left so I was like okay you've got two more years until they leave and I'm so glad that I was able to do it because to me it's a, a gift to them you know saying that you can achieve your dreams you can make things happen um so yeah the book is dedicated to them it says it on there I've shown it to them and so I'm very glad for that that's incredible. It's 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 uh, inspirational. Also, kind of funny that it's the reverse <laughs> happening. Usually, you give school children like a schedule and deadlines, and now they were giving you the deadline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've spoken a little bit what about what children can take away from from the book. What do you think about what parents say they're reading the book to their children? What could they, as parents, take away from the book? Oh, uh, that's very good. <laughs> so I, I think parents, um, it's not so much the, the moral of the story, because I think they already, uh, you know, as an adult, you are aware of these things, whether you apply them or not. But I think what the book can do for parents is reconnect with the simplicity of storytelling, reconnect with uh, just, you know, a, a basic character who goes on a journey and, and connects uh, with it you know through reading it with their children you know the repetition that is in there the description of of different parts of the story you know elaborating on that it's, it's a beautiful bonding moment I had a, a father once say to me 
uh, my son asked me what a calabash is. <laughs> and I was surprised that, wow, obviously living in the UK, he's never seen a calabash. He doesn't know what it is. And so they talked about it and he Googled it and he showed it to him and he told him of stories when he was younger, you know, using calabashes because he was from Nigeria. And mm-hmm. that touched me. And I think that's what parents can take away from this, that the opportunity to bond with their children over something very simple as telling a story. That's so important. You know, my my parents used to read to my uh, older sisters and then they would read to me. So um, mm-hmm. it, it, it is very important that parents talk to their children, read stories. And I think at these times where, you know, economically the world is in a bit of a tiz and both parents have to work and not spend too much time with each other, how important uh, do you really think that parents dedicate a certain amount of time actually just reading and, sp- and speaking with their children? I think it's it's very important, but I, I also am aware of the fact that we don't have the time. This year has been a particular year. It doesn't count. <laughs> I wrote Giraffe Sex in 2019. I had no idea about 2020. Um, no, I, I do think it's important. I also am aware of the fact that it might not be possible all the time, which is why folktales are brilliant because they're short stories and you can memorize them and just recite them. And when children love a story, they want to hear it again and again and again. So it could be the same story that you share with your child on the way to school, uh, when they're coming back, just before bed, just any five, 10 minutes time that you have just reading or, or, or reciting rather a story to your children. I think it's, it's, it's very important. And if parents can do it and find the time to, I really encourage it. This um, idea behind your novel reminds me a little bit about um, the Anansi stories. I'm sure you mm-hmm. must have read those. Yes. <laughs> I think those probably influenced your book a bit. Oh, definitely. Like I was saying, um, when I was 10 years old, my parents decided to move back to Ivory Coast and I'd been on holiday, but I've never, I'd never lived there. So I didn't know anything about the school system or anything like that. And it was like a journey and adventure, but just imagination in, in my head of a 10 year old. And I had some friends who did the journey backwards. So I was going to Ivory Coast to live there. They had come from Ivory Coast into mm. France to live here. And I remember them, uh, we had a, um, a party once, um, a sleepover rather. And they were all, each telling me Nancy stories that they could remember. And I'd never heard Nancy stories. I had never ever heard of these folk tales. And they all came up with, you know, funny ones, weird ones. And so... I was so excited to go to Ivory Coast because of these stories. And so um, they became my favorite instantly. And coming back here, again, linking with that idea of, of, you know, bringing out the roots and things like that. I was like, the, um, the effect that those stories had on me when I heard them the first time, I would love for that, to, for someone out there to have the same, uh, the same experience. So uh, that's partly why I, I do the podcast as well, you know, because I, I can't bring out a book every month. <laughs> um, but that's a good way of, of doing this. I was, uh, that's actually a great segue. I was going to ask you what your main motivation behind the podcast was. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's mainly it. <laughs> At first, um, the podcast was mainly for me. So I wasn't really telling folk tales or anything like that. It was a very personal thing of just me uh, sharing my thoughts out loud. And when I would go through tough times, just listening back to those thoughts and those encouragements. 
And uh, a friend of mine suggested once I was on a live uh, talking about giraffes eggs with uh, um, a publisher and um, a friend of mine was on the live and said, you know what, it would be good if you read out those kind of stories on the podcast. And at first I dismissed it. I was like, nope, 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 I'm not doing that. It's too much work. I'm too busy. And then I thought, well, I'm already doing it. So let me take it in a different uh, direction. I didn't know who would be listening to it. I thought maybe children, but then I thought it would be a bit tough for parents to put it on before they go to bed. It was just complicated. But the feedback that I got was that adults and children listened to it. So a lot of my students listened to it and, and, and parents listened to it. And I thought, okay, do you know what? It, it, it does something for people. So it keeps me going. But yeah, the initial thing was it was for me. <laughs> um, but now I'm, I'm happy for people to join in and listen and, and be encouraged. Yeah, I think that's the, the great thing about podcasts is that uh, pretty much anybody of any age can can listen and, and enjoy it. And I, I, the way you write your episode is accessible to everybody, in my opinion. I, I try to. So I try to make the story as simple as possible, give a bit of information at the beginning. And if that's where people want to stop when I finish the story, that's fine. If they want to carry on and listen to some things that are my, refl- my reflections and a bit deeper than they can. Uh, yes, I try to <laughs> keep it that way. No, that's brilliant. I just want to um, divert slightly. I listened to uh, one of your episodes and you said that your mother helped you with the pronunciation of some of the names. <laughs> yes. Does she does she uh, give a lot of input into your episodes? She Well, not every one of them, uh, but she does. Uh, obviously, she knows a lot more about where we come from than I do. And she <laughs> speaks the language, which is Baule. I don't speak a word of it. Um, so she does help, especially with uh, names and uh, names of places and things like that she will tell me no that's not how you say it and she'll tell me <laughs> so she's influential in that way but also in um, giving me ideas of which kind of stories to to read out sometimes when I want to read West African stories uh, the French version or the or the English version um, I'm not always sure which ones to pick which ones would you know be interesting and so my mother would be like oh what about this one what about that one so she's she's very key <laughs> now that's great that that authenticity is is really important because you know over the many years it, it hasn't been you know Africans telling African stories so mm. you doing that is it's so important so can you maybe walk me through a little bit about how the writing process is different or similar to the podcasting process? Well, the podcasting is, I think, more straightforward. I have this very, not rigid, but this routine where um, I would research a bit on the story that I want to do. Um, A lot of the time they're already written on the internet. So I would just find a place um, where I can get the story without any, you know, copyright infringements or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I would adapt it it a bit, change it a bit, edit it rather. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. I would edit it a little bit, um, add my own voice to it so that it doesn't sound very strange. You know, it still sounds like me reading it. Record it and then... Yeah, that, that would be it really, record it, edit it, and that's it. So it's very straightforward, takes me about two, three hours. Writing, on the other hand, my goodness, <laughs> writing is a different kettle of fish. And I think it's because I'm still, 
I know I'm a published author, but I'm still struggling to see myself as a writer. I know, I know that sounds very strange. Uh, but because of that, I feel like there's a whole process that I need to go through. But actually, I should just sit down, write it, edit it and, and put it out there. But I, I do struggle with writing. I have a lot of stories in my head. Sometimes I record them, but putting pen to paper or fingers to keypads <laughs> I, I struggle with a little bit. The lockdown was brilliant for me because I had so much time that it was good for me to just use some of that time to do some writing. But now with work and everything, I just, I freeze. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what you wanted to hear, but yeah. No, no, thank you for being honest because um, I have spoken to a few writers and they've, they've said something similar where you know, sometimes they just stare at the computer and their mm. fingers are just sitting on the keys and not doing anything. That's um, but- it. <laughs> But I think it's brilliant that you that you record your ideas because I'm mm. sure you're going to be able to just sit down and type it all out in a few days from now. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> a little bit out of the way now. I, I did see that you used to host poetry and music evenings. Um, obviously, yeah. now with COVID, I'm assuming you don't do that anymore. But um, why, why did you start that? And like, what was your, obviously, you, if you've explained your interest in poetry, but where did the music side come from? Um, so I, like I said, I was interested in poetry, especially written poetry. And then I stumbled across a video years ago of a, um, uh, what are they called? Spoken word. That's it. A spoken Mm -hmm. word piece. And it touched me so much that I thought I want to do that. (laughs) So I, I binged watched as many videos as I could. And, um, I had a couple of friends who were in the entertainment industry and sometimes they would put on shows or, you know, just, just events and evenings. And I would go there and perform some poetry and people seemed to really like it. And I really enjoyed it. And I vibed off the audiences and, um, their responses, And um, so I decided to have a a poetry evening at my house. Uh, I was at at, um, university at the time. So when I say my house, I mean my room. (laughs) And so I invited some of my friends and some of them were like, well, I don't write poetry, but I do play the guitar and I sing a bit. Can I still come? And I was like, of course. So it became this little corner of my room where we just shared poetry, uh, some of it good, some of it questionable (laughs) and, um, and music. And they loved it so much and I loved it so much that we thought, let's do this once a month. Let's just get together, forget about coursework and university and all of that and just be creative. And we did it for a few months. And then the place where I was volunteering at, uh, which was a charity, also had a cafe and they were looking for someone to host a poetry evening. And I thought, well, I do that in my bedroom. I, I would love to do it in a cafe. That, that'd be great. And they were down for it and I was down for it. And that's how it started. Uh, we moved out of there years later and used a, um, a cinema instead. Um, but the concept was still the same, you know, amateurs and, and you know, people who are, you know, uh, seasoned professionals coming in and just, you know, just sharing their creativity Um I really wanted people who don't have the opportunity to do this or do, don't, who don't see those opportunities to have a go, especially, you know, older people who might think, oh, you know, I'm too old to be getting on stage and sharing poetry. I was like, no, I want, you know, young people and, and older people to get on that stage and share. And um, I even might had my mother come up once and I was so grateful that I was able to get that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> 
That's so incredible. And also it made me think um, about whether you'd ever consider wanting to turn your uh, book drafts eggs into an audiobook. I have thought of that and definitely, and also translating it in French as I speak French. Honestly, it's just the time. But mm. yes, this is something I would really like to do. I think I enjoy recording those stories. Writing is brilliant, but I, I do enjoy recording now because of the podcast. Yes, because I was thinking, you know, the way you, you incorporate sound effects and music into your podcast episodes are so brilliant. And then, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a match made in heaven for your book, I think. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I would like to talk a little bit about your um, charity and humanitarian efforts. I see you're a member of the Dockers Foundation and you've also sponsored two children through Plan UK. So um, <laughs> why, why are these causes important to you? And also I see education in particular. Yes, um, you've done your homework. <laughs> so uh, charity, I think uh, my parents, so my parents are, are not together. I've got my mom and my stepdad and I have my dad and my stepmom. But individually in their own world, they are heavily involved in humanitarian um, uh, causes. My mother actually is the one who founded Dorcas Foundation. And uh, my father in Benin is doing documentaries about, you know, the life and, and work of uh, children who have to be inside, um, who have to be uh, maids and things like that. In, in rich people's houses and so my heart has always been for the less fortunate uh, I think I've I grew up knowing that there are people who are less fortunate than me and that it is my not duty but it is a privilege to be able to help and so I grew up with that and um, now as an adult working with children in a secondary school I see how some children are privileged but there is still a lot of inequality, even here in the UK, even here in the West. So when I think of people in, in other places, in other countries, I, I can't help but feel some kind of obligation, you know, just, yeah, my motto is this, I may not be able to help everyone, but I can help someone. And to that one person, it, it, it is the world of difference. I may not be able to solve every single problem out there, but I can be part of the solution, you know. So that's that's my mindset. I'm I'm very giving. Um, I, I I see money as a currency. It ebbs and flows. Sometimes you have lows. Sometimes you you don't. But just use it wisely. Use it as a tool. So that's that's my mindset. That's that's why I do this. Education and children because that's what I'm surrounded by. But it could have been anything else. If I was in engineering, it might have been uh, you know I don't know something else. <laughs> so yeah, that that's me really. That's that's so incredibly inspirational. And your family sounds amazing. Yeah, we have our flaws, but yeah, <laughs> that's one thing we've got, right? <laughs> but I think it's so important that um, children reading your book, you know, know about, you know, who who's the author and what you do, because, uh, you know, you could be, you're basically a role model to those children. I, I need to, I need a snippet of this recording and send it to my, to my classes. <laughs> like, look, I've been called a role model, so respect. <laughs> they should know this already, considering you taught them. Oh, I, I love them. They love me. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> so um, I know you said writing was tough. Do you have any book ideas, even if not books in the works currently? I I have one story in my head. I've recorded it. I've sent it to a friend who loved it. I've got the title. It's called Keke and the Cake Thief. Mm. It's actually set in South Africa. Okay, <laughs> I know, I know. 
Um, so yeah, I, I have that. I have the story. I just literally need to sit myself down and type it. Uh, once it's typed, then I can look for publishers or, you know, agents or whatever. But yeah, I do have Keke and the Kate Thief. And I think the reason why I'm saying it out loud is so that I can be held accountable. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I think it's time to hit up your class again and tell them I to know. give you a <laughs> <laughs> yeah where where can we find uh giraffe's eggs where is it available to buy so giraffe's eggs is on amazon if you just type um giraffe's eggs is the only one called giraffe's <laughs> eggs so it should come up but also uh if you go to my website so it's lm diany diany spelled d-a-i-n-i dot com um yeah you'll find my book there actually now that you that you mentioned the title um where did that uh, specific story come from? Like, why that plot? It's, a, it's quite an interesting plot. I, I, I absolutely, it's, it's so weird that I love telling the story. <laughs> so the, the title came before the story. I went to a friend of mine's house. She's Kenyan. And her mother is also Kenyan. Her stepdad is British, is, is English. And um, I went there and, you know, being a very polite young lady, you know, I greeted everyone, sat down in the corner, you know, and the the dad is very laid back, very outspoken, flamboyant. And he told me, oh, um, have you ever seen giraffe's eggs? And it took me, no words of a lie, a good 10 seconds before realizing he was joking. <laughs> he was just messing about. And my friend realizing that I was struggling, she was like, he's joking. It's fine. Like, <laughs> you don't need to make up a story. And I was like, that is brilliant. If I ever write a book, that will be the title of my book, Giraffe's Eggs. So when I was writing Giraffe's Eggs, I was like, I need somehow to make it seem as if giraffes, you know, can lay eggs or want eggs. Or I just, that was the main idea. I need some eggs for giraffes um so yeah he he was he was key and instrumental in uh, giraffe's eggs that's such an incredible story I'm so glad I asked you that (laughs) (laughs) um so perfect so tell everyone where you can find your podcast and your your um, social media handles yeah so um I just go by my my author's name everywhere so lm diany on instagram is lm.diany on twitter is lm-diany um I'm on facebook but not really the podcast is anchor.fm forward slash lm diany but I think if you just tap giraffes eggs and other african folktales it it should come up it's literally the first thing that pops up, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> giraffe sex. <laughs> it's it's a, a pretty unique title. <laughs> it is. It's a very unique title. When I when I first saw that, I was like, "What is this?" Like, it makes you want to go yeah. and find out. <laughs> <laughs> and and every single child, like every single child, their first reaction is, "Um, miss." do giraffes lay eggs and because I'm their teacher they they don't really know they don't want to tell me miss you got it wrong you got a whole yeah. book published on something completely wrong but I'm just like read the story you'll find out why but you know that's so funny it reminds me of um there's these uh there's this uh African folktale I told on my podcast um some weeks ago it's it's got this hair that actually eats a cheetah's cubs um no. and- and my parents were like, wow, that's so crazy. Um, the, the, the hens aren't actually carnivorous, right? <laughs> I was like, no, it's a folk tale. <laughs> no, I, I, totally get, uh, I totally get that. I do get it. It's it's cute. It's And it's a nice way to start a conversation. So it's brilliant. 
Perfect. Well, Lynn, I am really, really looking forward to tuning into your podcast again. And I hope to see uh, more of your books soon. And I hope you get Kiki out. Uh, thank you so <laughs> much. Thank you so much for coming on to Legendary Africa. It was a real joy to have you on. My absolute pleasure. I'm so grateful that you picked little me to come onto your podcast. I'm really grateful. Thank you. But hold up. Don't leave yet. Lay Marie herself is going to treat us now to a little snippet of her book, Giraffe's Eggs. Please listen and enjoy. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, where animals roamed free, there lived a certain giraffe. Now, at that time, giraffes did not have their very long and graceful necks we admire today. They had very short necks. One day, however, was to change the lives of giraffes forever. And this is where our story begins. Giraffes was very friendly, popular, and liked by everyone. She had friends of all sizes, the very huge elephant, the slender gazelle, and the robust leopard with the burly lioness. Giraffe was kind and listened to everyone, big or small. She also remembered to be polite all the time. Giraffe, however, had only one best friend, and that was the oxpecker bird. They had been friends since the first day giraffe could walk and the oxpecker could fly. They had had many hours of fun time together, chasing each other over the grass and around the bushes. Sometimes the oxpecker would fly in circles around giraffe's head. They both loved that very much. One day, oxpecker wanted to show her friend giraffe something special and different. Since they had been close friends for a very long time, Giraffe was the first animal that Oxpecker wanted to tell about her first batch of eggs. Giraffe was fascinated about the lovely, colourful eggs. In a few days, the eggs were going to hatch into beautiful Oxpecker chicks that would later fly around the savannah trees. Giraffe was very happy for her friend, but felt a little sad as well. She wanted to have some eggs of her own too. She told Oxpecker about it and asked if she could get her own eggs. But Oxpecker laughed and laughed and laughed some more. (laughs) Oh my dear giraffe, you can't have eggs because giraffes don't lay eggs. Now Oxpecker didn't mean any harm. She was only telling the truth. But the truth? said in the kindest way, sometimes hurts. And Giraffe was deeply offended. She thought her friend was being selfish and didn't want to share the secret of laying eggs. Giraffe turned her nose up at her friend, who also felt insulted. They both went back to their own homes, disappointed and unhappy. All night, Giraffe stayed awake, wondering if she could maybe buy some eggs instead. In the morning, she set out towards the local market. She was still hurt by her friend's comments. Once at the market, Giraffe spotted a little girl and her mom at the store. They had come from the human village nearby. They were exactly who she had hoped to see. A few moons ago, around the Baobab tree of stories, Giraffe had heard a tale in which humans gathered eggs that grew from the ground. Humans had weird habits like that. Anyway, this was one of her favourite stories, and she never forgot it. 
She walked to the stall and asked the mother if she had any such eggs for sale. Sadly, the mother said she'd never heard of eggs that grew from the ground. Giraffe held back some tears and started making her way back home. The humans had been her only hope. What could she do? The little girl didn't like to see Giraffe so sad. She had a very kind heart, you see, and she wanted to help. So the little girl thought and thought and thought. And finally she remembered that in her grandmother's village, there grows a plant called an eggplant. She also remembered once that her mother had called them garden eggs. So she ran after Giraffe to tell her. Needless to say, Giraffe was very interested in this story. She wanted to know what animals the eggs would hatch. The little girl replied, I don't know. Grandma always cooks them before they hatch. Now Giraffe was convinced by that statement. She decided to travel to the human village and save as many unhatched eggs as possible. Goodness, did Giraffe manage to successfully grow her eggs? And what did Oxpecker think about it? Pop onto Amazon and go buy Giraffe's Eggs by Lane Marie Diney and find out for yourself. And that brings us to the end of the bonus episode. Many, many thanks again to Lane Marie for coming on to Legendary Africa. Lane Marie's book, Giraffe's Eggs, can be bought on Amazon and a podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. I'll be leaving all the links in the show description. Please pop over and check it out. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram. And I'll see you next Saturday with an all-new ancient myth, legend, or tale from our beautiful continent of Africa. Until then, tell your loved ones you love them, thank the angel on your shoulder, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye! (laughs) 